coffee is unique because it allows some natural vegetation around it. So it's not like a rolling hill of tea. When you when you're in a tea plantation, you can just see grasses of tea, um, which is very different from coffee. Coffee kind of has a lot of forest cover, really, a lot of other trees that grows along with the coffee bushes. Um, and that presents uh, an opportunity to really look at it as an agroforest rather than as just agriculture. Okay. Um, and and where we really focus on basically when when we talk of what, what how we might conserve biodiversity, mm-hmm. we're not talking of coffee. We're talking about every other plant that grows along with coffee um, that can be, uh, you know, create a habitat for all of the wildlife that exists there. So we're really focused on the non-coffee bits of the coffee farm. Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. If you're new to our channel, please consider subscribing to it and hit the bell icon so that you never miss an update. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I have with me a very accomplished individual in the social sector from Bangalore, India, Arshia Bose. Arshia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, Arshia is the founder of Black Baza Coffee, which is a social and conservation enterprise. She's a PhD in geography from the University of Cambridge. She's an Acumen Fellow. She's a Kinship Conservation Fellow, and she's a National Geographic Explorer. Quite a journey you've had, Arshia. So let's talk about Black Baza Coffee. Tell me a little bit about this venture. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, coffee is a plant that has transformed the world. Correct. We drink one third as much coffee in the world that we do drinking water. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's um, said to be the second most highly valued commodity you know, second only to petroleum. Mm -hmm. So we drink a lot of coffee. And um, we don't think of India as growing coffee, but we're actually the sixth largest producer of coffee in the world as well. Mm. Um, For me, coffee is an interesting um, combination or a meeting point um, of all the things I studied as a student mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, as a, uh, as a researcher um, in a very kind of real world uh, market context. Mm-hmm. Um, and Black Baza Coffee, I suppose, is an exploration and an experiment of whether we might be able to trade this already hugely global commodity mm-hmm. in a very different way. Okay. Um, in a way that really recognizes and places value on you know people producers mm-hmm. in that coffee value chain as well as nature okay okay and uh, you know you said that you work with smallholder coffee mm-hmm. producers uh, help me understand what you mean by smallholders and what are some of the challenges they face so um you know, kind of continuing along with how kind of coffee is grown. The mm-hmm. other interesting thing about coffee is, of course, the sort of human face of it, mm-hmm. um, which is that um, other than one or two pockets in the world, particularly perhaps maybe in in parts of Ethiopia, coffee is always grown to be sold. Okay. Um, so there are, you know, there's, there's very active kind of 
growing cultivation culture. Um, but it's actually grown by people who cultivate on fairly small parcels of land, mm -hmm. which is very different from the way we might grow tea, for example. Um, and in India, um, we find that coffee is largely cultivated. 83% of coffee producers in India cultivate on less than five acres of land, um, which presents a unique set of, I think, hardships and challenges. Um, often um, where coffee is grown geographically is also very interesting. And, and, and we find there's overlaps between um, indigenous and tribal communities and coffee growing regions. Mm -hmm. um, so you already have fairly marginalized, fairly impoverished communities um, who have now recently started cultivating coffee. It's not a traditional crop in many parts of uh, India. Mm -hmm. um, and it means that uh, access to a fair and transparent market is actually quite challenging. Um, for, for a smallholder producer who may not know what the prices are, for example, who may not know um, what the quality of his or ho her own produce is and so be able to negotiate and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and we find that, for example, levels of exploitation is, is very high among smallholder producers who consistently receive way less than what the market price of coffee is. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, before I go to the next question, I want to ask you, what does Black Baza mean? So, Black Baza is actually a bird. Um, it's a small bird of prey that's found across Asia uh -huh. um, and found in, you know, typically fairly dense, healthy forests. Okay. And so for us, the Black Baza is symbolic of the kind of cultivation we would like to see much more of. Um, a kind of coffee growing practice that coexists with um, with all of the biodiversity and so for you know the so so that's why we called ourselves the uh, black baza coffee. coffee okay so now moving on you know you mentioned that you know a very large number of the smallholders have less than five acres and right. they don't probably get the right pricing at what stage do you and your team step in and how do you help the the farmer if i can use the word um, can and please if, if you can if you have any interesting anecdotes, I'd love to hear them. So um, you know, I mean, what's interesting about um, my journey as an individual and then the journey of Black Baza Coffee as well is that the kind of um, research element of it is still very strong, even organizationally uh, with Black Baza. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is often. Um, often our involvement with producers actually starts with research. Mm -hmm. um, and that means maybe we are in the landscape documenting what the history of land use is, mm -hmm. what the life histories of coffee producers are, right. what the surrounding biodiversity is, what the pressures are, what the challenges are. And from that, I suppose we look at what kind of solutions might emerge. Um, and, um, one of the um, one of the ways we therefore go about it is that many of the producers we are actually doing you know we're researching their farms and their farm management practices, and they will very frequently um, ask us if we would like to partner with them and if we would like to you know source their coffee and source their produce and so on. And so therein begins the journey of us 
actually sourcing our coffees from uh, smallholder producers. But it does begin with research. It begins with, with, with a very kind of detailed understanding of what kind of trade, what kind of relationship people mm. find fair. People want to engage in, and therefore, how might how might we actually create an engagement that's beneficial to them? So it's also not the same in different landscapes. For example, um, in the Wayanad region of Kerala, we work very differently with smallholder producers than we might um, elsewhere. Um, and and so one size doesn't fit all. We don't have one way of working, mm -hmm. but we do work either with farmer producer collectives and organizations and cooperatives, institutions, or directly with individual producers. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a farmer who's growing coffee, what is the size of uh, land or a farm that he or she needs to have to make it economically viable? I think, you know... Um, um that's a difficult question um to ask because in many in in for most smallholder producers there is only a finite piece of land and and very often kind of the option of expanding or extending doesn't exist mm -hmm. um very different from like what you might see as as colonial plantations which are now much much larger pieces of land and people can exp you know expand mm -hmm. um but um the you know in in one part of Karnataka where we where we're working the average land holding is half an acre wow. so it's very very small there are more homestead coffee gardens than they are plantations as such um, and that means many different things of how you might manage it mm -hmm. so you know if you are cultivating on half an acre of land and you're keen on practicing organic farming practices for example um, there's numerous risks involved. What will you do if there's suddenly a pest outbreak and you can't spray the super toxic chemical pesticides that everybody else is around you? Um, how would you manage it differently? So there's a lot of research and development that's involved. There's innovative kind of looking at different things. But but um, but I, our idea has always been about whether we might therefore be able to offset the loss in production that some smallholder producers might be facing with a different kind of market arrangement, okay. a better coffee, a better quality coffee, a more premium sort of brand um, that might therefore make a small farm much more viable. Okay. Interesting. And, you know, for a coffee estate, what are some of the biodiversity challenges that are being faced? So, you know, coffee across the world overlaps almost identically with rainforest. So in the Brazilian Amazon, Southeast Asia and Borneo, parts of the Indian Western Ghats and including parts of Uganda, Kenya and, and other parts of Central Africa as well. So um, wherever there is coffee, there is or was forest uh, before. And so the first biodiversity challenge really is that um, is, is asking the question of should there really be coffee in this landscape or not? Should it really have been forest? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, for whatever, you know, history of land use, we've ended up now with coffee. Um, and coffee is unique because it allows some natural vegetation around it. So it's not like a rolling hill of tea. When, you, when you're in a tea plantation, you can just see grasses of tea. Um, which is very different from coffee. Coffee kind of 
has a lot of forest cover really a lot of other trees that grows along with the coffee bushes um and that presents a, a, an opportunity to really look at it as an agro forest rather than as just agriculture okay. um and and where we really focus on basically when when we talk of what, what how we might conserve biodiversity mm-hmm. we're not talking of coffee we're talking about every other plant that grows along with coffee um that can be uh you know create a habitat for all of the wildlife that exists there so we're really focused on the non coffee bits of the coffee farm uh fair enough. fair enough so my next question to you is you know you mentioned that uh, one third of the uh, or the other the amount of coffee we consume is equal to one third of the water we drink yes india as a nation has traditionally been drinking tea right except uh, south india which has always traditionally bought drunk a lot of uh, consumed a lot of coffee right yet we have now started to gravitate to selecting coffee what is changing in our tastes <laughs> that's i mean you know it's it's a good question because um, you know even as um, so i didn't grow up drinking coffee mm. um, i only started drinking coffee as a phd student either to pull really long nights of work or um you know when i was doing research and i was meeting coffee producers and even coffee producers don't drink coffee right mm. that you go to to a producer's house they are more likely to serve you tea than they are uh uh-huh. than they are coffee so this um the tea drinking culture is, is very much present even mm. today even in southern states um and um and and i think it's partly to do with um with kind of what our palate is i suppose um you know we like typically very astringent foods and i don't know whether um milky sugary tea is a kind of deviation for that so we, we sort of drink it interspersed between meals because we want to have sugar um but you know the kind of but, but coffee is also a much more luxury product and yeah. so um as perhaps affordability is increasing we see kind of coffee as a culture more than just a drink it's mm-hmm. a sort of lifestyle culture you go out and sit with someone and have coffee um whereas you might just make tea at home um uh, and sort of drink it so that's also changing as well um you see people you know in movies meeting at a coffee shop you don't really you know see see them you know drinking tea or any other beverage so i think it's supposed culturally but but i don't and but maybe also a shift in in sort of how our foods in general are changing and and where the flavor of coffee really fits within that might be an interesting exploration very interesting and you know you just mentioned that uh, you started it in uh and drinking coffee in phd while you wanted to uh, you know spend or you know, stay awake the whole night my question to you is that you know when i look at millennials when i look at my children everyone wants to start their day with a coffee mm-hmm. and i often wondered is coffee addictive well um i don't think so okay. um but i think um um and there's many different ways to drink coffee as well right so i think depending on how you're brewing it um what you're deriving from it is very different um so um for example um a lot of the cycling community and and you know 
actually gets their, their huge sort of customer base for us. And um, um, we found out, and I didn't know, that, that cyclists will have an espresso shot before they, they do a very long ride. Okay. Um, and um, that's, you know, because... Um, Coffee, in a sense, is called legal dope in mm-hmm. the in the kind of caffeine hit that you get from it, and the sort of feel good energy you have after it. And 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 black coffee does that. I don't know whether it's addictive though. Mm-hmm. I, I it's an occupational hazard for me, and I'm not uh, by any means sort of um, found found myself right. to be um, addicted to coffee. But I do think the the sort of drinking coffee black does give you um the spunk and the and the sort of jump in your step that um that maybe a, a milky cup of coffee doesn't really i agree or, with you yeah i mean one of the first things i do when i wake up and i'm a very early riser is yeah. to make you know a, a, a cup of nespresso right you know, because over the last five six years that i've started drinking nespresso i've suddenly got quite uh, used to drinking and i won't say addicted but yeah. every morning i must have my small little shot of espresso so yeah and it's ritualistic as well right yeah. so the sort of ritual of it is kind of telling your brain that you're waking up now um and 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 what coffee has done very well which which some of the tea drinking cultures have but but certainly not you know most commonly done in households is that we made a ritual of brewing coffee mm. so the brewing part of coffee has become very ritualistic okay. we use elaborate gadgets we kind of pour things very slowly we kind of swirl and you know smell it and smell so the sort of ritualness of 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 drinking coffee is is part of the reason that there's so much excitement i think probably i was telling somebody the other day i said drinking coffee is almost like drinking a nice malt you know you're <laughs> nosing it and you're checking it and you're tasting it and it's very fascinating so my next question i'll share to you is that you know uh, you are a geography student uh, and and you know you you're seeing uh, what's happening in coffee around the world what are sorry some of your thoughts on what uh, the what coffee is doing to the environment and what what can be done to um, preserve it Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, one of um, many of us who are part of the coffee industry are actually quite worried about um, the future of coffee because um, there's a lot of data, especially from the South and Central Americas, mm-hmm. coming out about how climate change and changing climates, particularly in higher elevations, mm-hmm. is is not only going to change. you know the kind of production we have so there's going to be huge shortfall in in coffee um but also perhaps going to change how the coffee tastes mm-hmm. um and and that's um, a source of worry because um uh, you know compared to other parts of the world we don't have too much higher that we can go in the southern indian hills where coffee is grown the mm-hmm. elevations are 1600 1800 meters and we're already cultivating at that mm. elevation and so how much higher will we go to you know attain in slightly cooler temperatures so i think indian coffee will be hit probably one of the worst in the world mm. um and we might therefore see a difference in the kind of coffees we drink mm. 
um i certainly don't think coffee will be as flavorful as soil changes as humidity changes as temperature changes i think we'll lose some of the complex flavors that we want from coffee mm-hmm. so these are all you know sources of concern and worry and so for us going forward the next 20 30 years really has to be how might me how might we of course build political will for looking at climate change Right. Um, but then also looking at individual farm levels to see how might we change practices to be able to deal with changing climate. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So I'm now going to move Arshia to the last segment of our conversation, which is some questions for you personally. Mm-hmm. A PhD in geography, uh, done work, uh, you know, on many many things. Uh, fellow, uh, you know, in, in multiple organizations. What would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career? Um, so you know, I never really thought I'd be an entrepreneur, and I still don't really see myself as one. I don't think I my my dream was to create um, a company or a brand. I definitely come from the the sort of academic culture of critiquing markets, critiquing corporates, critiquing mm. um, you know capitalist sort of systems, and and so how. how i ended up here is is interesting and um there's probably a few different you know milestones um for example when when i applied to do my phd and I, and i was beginning my phd research i was actually interested in um the conservation of snow leopards and himalayan kind of conservation uh, issues um i i suddenly fell ill with uh, a sort of mysterious um set of allergies that prevented me from traveling too far um and uh, you know on the on doctor's advice i was told to only do field work close to home which was bangalore mm. and so therefore i kind of explored and found myself in coffee regions looking at what was happening with coffee mm. so you know as as a student as frustrated and heartbroken that i was that i wasn't able to you know do this big himalayan adventure mm-hmm. it's it's also the reason that i ended up here so um had i not uh, you know been ill and and thankfully i i've recovered mm-hmm. but i i don't think i would have really been in this field at all so that's yeah. definitely a, a kind of milestone although an unplanned one mm-hmm. um and i remember towards the end of my phd as well um i um was at um Uh, a farmer's house interviewing him and his his mother was with came and sort of joined our conversation and she asked me something that i didn't quite have an answer to i was you know a, a cambridge phd student so i thought okay this is the cat's whiskers right mm-hmm. i i i this is you know course like look at what an elite institution this that to 800 years of Or you know Cambridge University, and she said, "Are you going to do anything useful after you finish your research?" Um, and of course, at that point, every PhD student thinks that their research is going to change the world. And and here was this eighty-year-old woman telling me that clearly, I it was not making any difference. Mm-hmm. Um, which is perhaps the the kind the conversation kind of stuck in my head and. and um once i finished i i didn't think i wanted to follow an academic path uh, after that mm-hmm. i thought okay you know if this 
80 year old woman is asking me to do something useful i must give it my best shot so i think that's uh, that's one of you know the other big big milestones um uh, that sort of shaped where where i am today phenomenal phenomenal so i should have time for two more questions for you my next question is that from where you stand today and you know you're very young and there's a lot of life ahead but from where you stand today what does success mean to harshia well so you know i think the way um i the way i look at my work and the way that i look at the role of black bazaar um it's probably i'm probably inconsequential in this picture right i would like for us to think about what success is for all of us mm. who are part of the organization who are part of the coffee growing community and so on and so forth mm -hmm. so personal success is probably the the least important uh, bit of this and and i don't actually spend too much time thinking about it what i'd like for us is is to have collective milestones is for us to constantly be valuable to each other to be connected to each other um i like the value chain of coffee consumer to producer to be meaningful connectedness um success is when you know you know who's growing your morning cup of coffee um uh, and um and there's fair price and there's fair treatment of people mm. across that value chain so those i think are the largest successes i don't know whether i have a sort of personal success okay. i suppose the personal success is to be keep keep to be able to keep doing it every day Fantastic. maybe that's maybe that's just the the answer to that wonderful and my last question to you is that who or what inspires you to keep pushing yourself to do so many interesting things Well, I mean, you know, every time I think I've worked really hard and done something um, good for the community, I I look over and see my mother doing ten times more and fifty times faster, and I think, okay, if if this is my who I'm competing against, then I have a really long way to go. So, um, I mean, you know, she, my my mother is an incredible person, and so she's a constant source of inspiration. Wonderful. Arshi thank you so much it's been such a pleasure speaking to you thank you for this amazing journey you have taken me down on coffee what what you know what is what is coffee doing to the world and to each one of us thank you very much and good luck thank you so much thank you for listening to the brand called you video cast and podcast platform that brings you knowledge experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals you can also follow us on youtube facebook instagram and twitter just search for the brand called you